0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister says Canada may need to do more in response to the Omicron variant.
1: Obviously we're watching very, very closely the situation with Omicron. Uh, We know that even though Canada has very strong border measures now, We need uh, uh, vaccinations to come to Canada, we need uh, pre-departure tests, we do testing on arrival. Uh, There may be more we need to do and we'll be looking at it very carefully.
0: A request from South Africa's envoy in Ottawa that Canada support a waiver on patent protections for COVID vaccines. The number one most effective tool so far that we have is getting people vaccinated. And to do that, Canada has to take a role in pushing for a waiver of those patent, uh, vaccine patent protection. Basically, we have to take a role in saying countries that need to produce more vaccines should be able to do that, we should support them, and we should not be protecting the interests of pharmaceutical companies. And the opposition continues to hammer the government on housing prices. Canada has the second biggest housing bubble in the world. Behind a tiny island in the South Pacific called New Zealand, every other country has less housing inflation. So what is causing this massive bubble? Is it just inflation? It's Wednesday, December 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So the Prime Minister is saying we may need to do more to prevent the spread of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. What more can Canada do? We're already starting to see uh, an increase in the number of uh, measures that have been put in place. There's more testing going on. There are are more countries where we're saying we're not accepting travellers. What else can we do?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, as it is, um, we've sort of adopted the uh, the uh, posture of uh, reacting first and studying later. I, I guess that's a, a part of the of the sort of lingering uh, shock effect that this whole pandemic has had on our psyches collectively. Um, But I don't see really the measures that have been announced being all that effective, Uh, you know, because the big answer is still to vaccinate everybody and uh, keep on going with it and to boost uh, people who need it as well. And when I say everybody, Mark, I mean people around the world. Right. And uh, Canada has to take part in that and do more. I think I saw the other day where the U.S. donated one billion doses of vaccines to uh the developing world and uh you know canada has to follow suit with that as well Um, you know if there's anything we can do it's to encourage production of vaccines uh, encourage the pharmaceutical uh, research that's needed and uh, to keep um, maintaining smart public health policies but i I don't think shutting the borders and all that is really going to uh, going to be the answer to this problem
0: yeah and you mentioned uh making sure everybody around the world is vaccinated i know south africa has has asked canada to support uh, a waiver on the patent protections for vaccines uh, because for example south africa and other african countries are uh, seeing low vaccination rates for a variety of reasons including the cost of the vaccine so uh, is that a step that that we need to take
1: 100 percent i think we should do that and in fact i think western countries should go far beyond that uh and build uh vaccine production facilities in africa and in other parts of the world that require that uh you know it would be a, a drop in the bucket for canada united states european countries and the rest to build these types of plants and support these sorts of things Uh, in other places, it's a lot cheaper than having the economy continuously kneecapped by new variants that are springing up. And as long as people are unvaccinated here and around the world, these new variants and mutations will keep flourishing. So, you know, there's no harm in doing this. It's it's pin money compared to what we're doing, shutting down, opening up, banning, closing borders and all this. These are the economic costs that are really piling up. These are the costs that are adding to inflation. And and these are the, these are the long-term, deep-seated issues that we could do a, a lot towards solving by reaching out and sending – I think of it as a military threat. We would send soldiers wherever it took if we thought those people – that somebody around the world was threatening Canada. Uh, these viruses are threatening Canada. We should send our medical soldiers wherever it takes and put our money wherever it takes – to uh, to stop these variants where they start.
0: Yeah. And and as and we we still don't know obviously how significant a threat this variant is going to be, how disruptive it'll be, uh how persistent and infectious and uh and threatening it'll be, but um is we're we're almost 2 years into this pandemic now, uh, and there's obviously a considerable amount of fatigue. Do you think that That public leaders are going to, uh, public health officials and political leaders are going to take a different approach to uh, lockdowns and to other measures because there is so much fatigue and there's been so much damage that the, the last two years have done.
1: Right. I I do think that that's inevitable um, and they'll become sort of a fatalistic uh, acceptance to some degree. Uh, But, you know, we all have to be careful of that kind of thinking as well, Mark. I mean, uh, you know, governments and and health authorities uh, have to be vigilant, remain vigilant, uh, because, you know, if we say, well, you know, uh, we can loosen up and it's only a very tiny percentage of people who will become infected or become seriously ill or die but that's still potentially in the hundreds of thousands or millions of people. So, you know, there'll be a human cost from that, that um, we sometimes are forgetting. And, uh, you know, Canada for instance is getting a high degree of vaccination compliance and, and cooperation. And we're, you know, doing fairly well in stemming the increase in new cases, but at the same time, um, those families that are hit by it are hit extremely hard. So uh, we have to balance those things and stay vigilant and not become suddenly fatalistic and just slack about the whole thing and let it happen.
0: Yeah. All right, let's turn to a couple of other stories. Uh, The Conservatives in the House of Commons um, are continuing to ask the government a lot of questions about uh, the rising cost of houses and the rising cost of everything. Uh, And, of course, they have coined this term just inflation, um, a portmanteau of the Prime Minister's name and the, and the, uh, the rising cost of living. Um, it, it, do you think this is something that's resonating with Canadians?
1: Well, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a great political line. I mean, obviously, uh, economics are, uh, is not a topic that is discussed knowledgeably by very many voters. But it is a topic that is discussed by many voters, if you get my distinction there. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it's ridiculous to blame Justin Trudeau or any prime minister or president or potentate around the world for individual inflation rates in given countries, given the fact that there's global inflation in every economy that's based on markets. So, you know, the Bank of Canada's job is to fight inflation. That is their mandate. Um, The federal government can do what it can to uh, restrain uh, inflationary pressures as it sees it and in the areas where it can Take advantage of it, but right now inflation is a big political message for, especially for the conservatives, who can walk around pretending that if they had been in power during the entire pandemic, that we would have no inflation, that somehow Canada would be in this special, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, shining city on the hill and exceptional to the rest of the world and and immune from the global economic forces all of which are ridiculous so i mean you know canada is going to be buffeted by inflation for a while the federal government if it's smart the trudeau government should be trying to make the right sounds to um show to canadians that it's concerned about that that it has that in mind Uh, but this is basically becoming yet another political football and is operating in that gray zone uh which is you know between the knowledgeable argument and the let's just say stuff because it's sticking to the government type of argument and that's where we're heading i think
0: mm. All right, finally, Dan, uh, an interesting story. There's a, a group of young Canadians who are launching a court challenge to lower the minimum age for voting in federal elections. Um, uh, I, I find this to be an interesting discussion. It's it's come up before. Uh, what do you think about the prospect of perhaps lowering the age from 18 to maybe 16 or something like that?
1: Yeah, I... I... think it's a great idea i mean you know we allow 16 year olds to get behind the wheel of cars uh which is almost the most dangerous thing you can do short of giving each one of them a machine gun and yet we think it's too sensitive to allow them to vote uh 16 year olds um I mean, I'm not saying 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, but I am saying 16-year-olds should be able to vote because they're at that age where they're becoming interested in the outside world. They're becoming informed on it. They're able to tap into information. They're able to analyze messages, not as well as they would a little bit older but still able to uh, separate a certain amount of wheat from the chaff. And and I think the ones that are more inclined that way will be the ones who will go out and inform themselves and be uh, uh, much more um, astute voters than, than say, maybe a, a large group that won't be interested. But sure, that's the case with adults, too. And older people, there's millions of us that just pay no attention whatsoever, can't be bothered voting. Think all politics is a bunch of baloney and and just ignore it. Well, those people aren't helping the democracy either. And I think uh, letting more people vote uh, increases the sense of inclusion in, uh, in politics and in uh, civic affairs. And, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, young Canadians should be uh, heard because this is the country we are leaving to them. So, uh, yeah, bring it on, I say, and and, uh, let's see where it goes.
0: Very interesting. Dan, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on all of this today. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster.
1: Obviously, we're watching very, very closely the situation with Omicron. Uh, We know that even though Canada has very strong border measures now, We need uh, uh, vaccinations to come to Canada. We need uh, pre-departure tests. We do testing on arrival. Uh, There may be more we need to do, and we'll be looking at it very carefully.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At TVO.org, John Michael McGrath argues that when it comes to Omicron, hope is not a plan. McGrath writes, What do we know about the latest variant? Not much. And there's really not much we can say until we have more hard data. Two weeks from now, this may all end up looking like a comical overreaction. Sincerely, I hope that's all true. But hope is not a plan. And even if we dodge this bullet, it would still leave us with the Delta variant. We still don't know enough about Omicron to know what comes next. Not for the first time in this pandemic. We're left with little to do right now except wait. In the National Post, John Iveson argues the Liberals are attempting another end run around accountability. Iveson writes, Erin O'Toole has raised an issue that should provoke unease in anyone who cares about democracy in this country, the tendency of the executive to run the House of Commons for partisan benefit rather than to be accountable to it. The belief in government appears to be, that the less the opposition parties and the media know about what is going on, the better. The Liberals were elected in 2015 on a promise to make Parliament relevant again. It seems the caveat to that commitment is, as long as it agrees with us. In the National Observer, Max Fawcett considers the Conservatives' reaction to inflation. Fawcett writes... It wasn't that long ago that the Conservative Party prided itself on being literate on the important economic and financial issues of the day. But if the party's ever-deepening obsession with inflation and insistence on pinning it to the Prime Minister is any indication, those days are over. Instead, they seem content to trade in the sort of threadbare fiction and populist fear-mongering that defined and still animates Trumpist economics. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the President of Kenya. He will also attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period before taking part in a virtual candle lighting ceremony in celebration of Hanukkah. Bloc Quebecois leader Yves Francois Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa, and the interim leader of the Green Party, Amita Kuttner, will also hold a news conference in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, December the 1st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.